Welcome to Liberty Lockdown. Please scan your barcode. Your liberty ain't gone, but yeah, it's on hold. Where did it come from and where did it go? Today's interview is with the great Scott Horton. He is an anti-war activist. And if you've already seen part one, you already know what this is about. Essentially, in his new book, it's a chronology. It takes you from 1991 and the fall of USSR all the way up to, to modern day and a little bit of theorizing about what might, might happen in the future. Um, the part one, we get basically up to the George Bush administration. So you got George Bush Sr. and then Clinton and then George Bush Jr. And now we're going to get into the, the later stages, the more modern news uh, or the more modern events that have impacted that conflict in Ukraine. And, uh, and I think it'll give you a very well-rounded understanding as to what's transpired. Um, I hope you guys enjoy it. As I've told you on my most recent episode, I fin finally found a partner that I actually wanted to do business with, <clears throat> and that is Converso. You can download them over on Android or Apple, C-O-N-V-E-R-S-O. In my estimation, is going to be the preeminent privacy messaging app. It is phenomenal. It has the capacity to retract the messages. So if you send something that you didn't mean to, you can actually delete it. And because it's just stored, it's just uh, like phone to phone is how this, the storage works. If you delete it from your phone, it deletes it from their phone and they don't even see it. Uh, it's a really cool app. I've been using it with some of my friends recently, and I think you guys are going to love it if you check it out. It doesn't cost you anything to check it out. So no harm, no foul. If you don't like it, just delete it. But I'm telling you, you're going to love it. I am trying to get all of my friends and family to use it because I think it's that much of advancement over the standard messaging app that exists. Again, that is Converso, C-O-N-V-E-R-S-O. -E Go get it in the Android or Apple Play Store today. You're going to enjoy it. Love you guys. If you want to support my work, go to libertylockdown.locals.com. Sign up to become a supporting member of the show. And I will be doing an AMA next week when I return from Tennessee, when I'm on my way to Austin, Texas. I've been traveling a lot and I'm very sorry. Um, I've also been reading a 600-page book to prepare for a debate against one of the preeminent YouTube debaters, whatever that accolade means. So forgive me. I've been a bit overwhelmed, but I hope to spend a little bit more uh, intimate time with the actual supporters of this show, which is libertylockdown.locals.com. Enjoy part two with the great Scott Horton. What confuses me about this is he picks, he's the first nation, famously, he's the first national leader, world leader that calls mm -hmm. up George Bush Jr. after the 9-11 attacks and offers all sorts of help and assistance. Was he, was Crucial he hope and assistance to right. the invasion of Afghanistan? Uh -huh. Yes. Yes. But was, was, was that his attempt to get Bush to stop the Clinton policy of expanding NATO? Do you, is that your read of it? Like what? Yeah. Well, look, I mean, I think throughout this, the attitudes kind of evolve where essentially they're in the position. They know they can't really do anything about stopping it. So they're trying to accommodate it. And Putin it. himself asked to join NATO right. in July of 2001. And Colin Powell just didn't even answer. I mean, he just didn't even dignify that with a response. And, you know, of course, Putin's rise to power, importantly, I should have said too, is connected to the war in Chechnya. He was brought in to prosecute the second Chechen war. And then again, after winning it, more or less, at least, he was promoted to prime minister in mm. 1999. And mm. then it was at the very end of 1999 on New Year's Eve, 
Yeltsin resigned and appointed Putin to replace him. Well, the election wasn't for, there was going to be an election in three months. Mm -hmm. And he gave Putin this massive head start on all of his competition by letting right. him sit in the chair already. Because now he's the incumbent. Incredible reports that he rigged the, the ballots in, in some of the eastern provinces and so forth. Oh, interesting. And the Americans aided and abetted it. The Americans took his side. He was credibly accused of cheating in the election. And the Americans said, no, no, we like this guy. He didn't cheat. He's fine. So this oh, is all goes to blowback. And by the way, you know, he mentioned in his declaration of war and since then, too, in a in a speech and just later in in 2022, um, he said, and we know that you guys backed the terrorists against us in Chechnya. You think we forgot about that? And in fact, you know what he says, Clint? He goes, let's be adults about this. <laughs> yes, I remember that line. You guys backed the terrorists in Chechnya. We know it. You know it. Whatever. So he's kind of acknowledging that this sounds like conspiracy theory stuff. Right. So he's kind of framing it the other way that like, come on, We're gonna, <laughs> we know it sounds like conspiracy stuff, but we also know that it's true. Don't we? Yeah, I he's do like, and you do too. He's like, hey, let's put on our big boy yeah. pants. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Have a conversation. Oh, about it. So, um, well, and he would know firsthand since he was, he was actually in Chesney, right? Oh, I don't know. That's okay. a good question. Okay. I don't, I, I, I should know more about his, his actual, you know, control over his role in prosecuting that war i know more about the terrorist side of it rather than the russian side of it sure so sure i really should look at more at that no it's interesting um man this book keeps getting longer um <laughs> it's the longest book i've read in years I, i'm so proud of myself for getting through it but it, it's a it's, it's a fucking book book i've ever written i'll tell you that it's a it's a gripping tale I, like i really couldn't put it down it was fascinating okay, so w bush he also i i had another train of thought about w bush here um before i get too far off what the hell was it well, maybe it'll come back to me. Um, w. Bush, he does the color code of revolutions. He expands NATO. I should point out that when um, he expanded NATO to include the Baltic states, he left this strip of Russian military land, military controlled land on the Baltic Sea, stuck behind NATO lines, as Pat Buchanan put it. Look at from the Russian point of view. It's this strip of land called Kaliningrad mm -hmm. where they based their Baltic Sea fleet. And it used to be a Polish city and it was a Prussian city right under German rule. And it's changed its names and, and what have you. It last belonged to Poland and now it belongs to Russia since the Second World War. And uh, not, not dissimilar to it's not dissimilar to Crimea, right? I mean, that's basically the Something Black, like the black that. Sea. Yeah, port. Exactly. So. So, except you have a solid NATO state, you know, between, you don't just have water, you have a solid NATO nation, oh, Lithuania, wow. between okay. Belarus and, um, and Kaliningrad. So, this is an obvious possible tripwire for war. I mean, the analogy to the beginning of World War II couldn't be more obvious, where Hitler was demanding a corridor to the German city of Danzig, which was controlled by the Poles, who were playing mm. hardball and, and led to the outbreak of war well, that, there. That rings a bell today as well. Yeah. The Poles are going fucking aggro. Well, and look, when as soon as the war started a year ago, it was right around a year ago, that the Lithuanians started playing tough guy and preventing, they don't have an exactly a corridor, but they have a railway that mm. runs from Russia through Belarus, through Lithuania to Kaliningrad. And the government in Lithuania started playing tough and saying, no, we're enforcing EU sanctions and we're gonna not let these Russian goods cross through. And it was like steel and concrete and like, you know, important resources. 
And that could have led right to a war. And, you know, everybody started talking tough right away. And I believe it was the Americans and the, the Germans told the Lithuanians, oh, no, 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 we're not doing this. And, you, and Lithuania is not a member of NATO? They are. Oh, they That's are. Okay. the problem. Yeah. yeah. And so, but, but, so you could see how that could turn into, yeah. an, uh, uh, escalate into real war between NATO and Russia right there is if, let's say, another new atrocity is revealed or whatever, yeah. an errant missile kills two at a farm in, you know, Poland. whatever it is. Yeah. So um, you could have the next stage of escalation could be the closing of that railway and then Russian threats that you better open it back up again. And then American responses that we don't take too kindly to threats. And then there it goes from there. Right. This is the road they already have us on right now. So that's the road that Bill Clinton, pardon me, that W. Bush put us on when he brought the Baltic states in, in 2004. Okay, then uh, is the missile defense systems. Now, um, oh, I know what I was going to say. Uh, when you brought up Afghanistan, so uh, uh, Putin calls W. Bush on September 11th and says, oh, you're switching sides in the Afghan war? Welcome. You can use my bases and my airspace. And he had to face down right-wing opposition in his country and tell them, shut the hell up. I'm in charge here, not you. And I've made this call and I want to get along with W. Bush and this is how I'm going to do it. And helped America invade Afghanistan to fight against their enemies, the Mujahideen, for their friends, the Tajik communists, right? That was the war we just finished losing after 20 years. Um, and so Bush repaid him by tearing up the anti-ballistic missile treaty in December of 2001, which was, you know, Nixon's great achievement. And, you know, all these treaties that but, they- But that, up are all that's Republican not something treaties. that Putin wanted to have end, right? Do you mean that sarcastically? I'm sorry? Uh, that's uh, the inter, uh, intermediate ballistic, ballistic missile treaty is not something that Putin actually wanted to end, is it? No, no, no. It was just W. Bush tore it up. Okay. So he's basically no, no. just, he's just kicking no, him in the no, fucking no, this, face right after he helped him. Yeah, exactly. Right. This is, this is Bush, you know, um, completely disrespecting him and insulting him. And this treaty said that we can have like, I think one or two anti-ballistic missile sites in our, in each country, something like that. And, and, and look, this is important because I know it sounds to people maybe on the surface of it like, hey, missile defense. If there's one legitimate reason for having this nation state, maybe it's to shoot down incoming H-bombs. I don't know. But the thing about it is that's just bullshit. That's not how it works, right? What it, How it works is the more ballistic missile defenses you build, the more ballistic missiles they build. And the right. more multiple reentry vehicles that they put on each missile. And the more heightened tensions and the more bases nearer your country and the more just arms racing and brinksmanship and yep. they figured out during the last cold war that actually no you know what we got up to where we had like forty thousand nukes on each side 35 40 000 nukes on each side 35 40 000 on the american and soviet sides each. <laughs> so so fucking crazy and then they went well wait a minute i mean does this really make sense to just keep going like this Right. Or are we going to, let's figure out a better way. So they stopped the testing and they put restriction. They started negotiating the size of the arsenals down. Let's have enough to make sure that we can kill each other and deter each other on a second strike and blah, 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 and this and that, but maybe not destroy all life on earth forever. You was know? that, was that decided in the eighties or nineties? 
Well, it's, well, no, I mean, it was Kennedy really got started with the test ban treaty. Okay, okay. And then so it was, a, it was Nixon ago. that got, it was Nixon that got SALT 1. Who did open air? The, oh, the open skies treaty. Oh, that was skies. originally, um, it was originally Eisenhower's idea, but it was signed by H.W. Bush. Oh, interesting. Okay. Um, and the Intermediate Nuclear Forces Treaty was, I believe, also Eisen. No, no, no. I think that was just Reagan's idea, and Reagan did it in '87. Okay. okay. Um, and that's the horrible, terrible, and wonderful story of the Reykjavik summit, where Reagan and Gorbachev, and this is before the beginning of the end of the Soviet Union right. and communism. But it's just it's the beginning of the end of the Cold War. But nobody thought the Soviet Union was about to unravel, or very few thought it was going to cease to exist. Um, but even with the Soviet Union still standing, Reagan was willing to negotiate the end of all nuclear weapons on Earth. They had a plan to abolish all nukes. In fact, I got a great anecdote about the conversation. It was Reagan, Gorbachev, the translators, and Secretary of State George Shultz hmm. in the room. And Reagan... I don't know if you know this history, but Reagan had built up, I guess, first of all, the Soviets had built up mid-range missiles in Eastern Europe. And Reagan said, oh, yeah, I'll beat you at that game. And he started pouring in, I believe it was thousands of Pershing, uh, you know, named after General Pershing from World War I, Pershing uh, uh, mid-range nuclear missiles, stationing them mostly, I guess, in Germany. And the whole reason he did this was to negotiate them away. And he was willing to do that. Now, like the people in the right in his own party and in his own White House, they just wanted to keep them. Mm. But Reagan was just playing bridge and he was willing to get rid of them. So he says, let's see if I remember the conversation right. Um, Gorbachev said, no, Reagan says, I think let's get rid of all the, the mid-range missiles. All the Pershings, I'll get rid of all my Pershings and you get rid of all your whatever they're called. And Gorbachev says, all right, then I'll tell you what, let's get rid of all the long range missiles too. In other words, all of them. These are the strategic nukes, the three stage yeah. ICBMs. Let's get rid of all the nukes. And Reagan turns to George Schultz and says, can we do that? And George Schultz says, yes, sir, Mr. President, let's do it. Incredible. So they start talking about it. They have a, re a real talk and they have a discussion. They have a plan even how they're going to do it. They're going to bring America and the Soviet Union down to 200 each. Then we'll be at parity with England and France and Israel. And, you know, at that time, India and Pakistan and North Korea weren't armed yet. So did China have nukes yet? China did have uh, around two to 300. Right. So it was, this would bring us all to parity with the other nuclear powers. And then we would work on it from there. There's no magic wish. We'll work on it from there. Let's see if we can get it down to 100. Let's see if we can get it down to 50. Let's see if we can get it down to 10. Maybe we'll have to stop at 10 or 50 or 25 or whatever it is, but let's see what we can do. And let's just, let's, first of all, highest priority, let's get below nuclear winter and billions of people starving to death levels. Right. And then let's try to get below millions of people murdered in their cities level. You know, let's get it to where maybe we only have enough for each other's military bases, but not enough for each other's cities anymore. That would right? be lovely. Something like this, right? Keep working it lower and lower and lower to the point of trying to get to reasonable here. And then what happened was the American, uh, you know, the war party ruined it. And Richard Pearl, the same guy who was one of the major ringleaders who lied us into Iraq War II for Israel in 2002 and three, 
was uh, the deputy secretary of defense and him and all of his people just absolutely raised hell about it. Mm -hmm. And old Reagan, they basically manipulated Reagan and made him believe that he was breaking his promise to the American people. Oh, this was the thing. I'm sorry. Gorbachev insisted that you have to abandon your Star Wars missile defense system in space. Which we all know how much he loved that fucking Star Wars plan. Yeah, that Star Wars plan, that thing was never going to work. It was total <laughs> make-believe. Lasers in space to take out incoming ICBMs and all this. And the whole thing is, look, no missiles. What the hell do you need a missile defense system for anyway, dude? Yeah. But Reagan said, no, I promised. And they told him, oh, Mr. Reagan, you promised the American people you'd protect them with the missile defense system. And so they just, you know, and he was old and dumb and blew it. Fucking Christ. But all, the best thing that came out of that summit instead was eventually they passed the first part of that agreement was, well, let's get rid of the intermediate range right. missiles in Europe. So we still have bombs and bombers stationed in Europe, and we still have subs in the Baltic. But we don't have mid-range missiles in Europe anymore. That was Reagan's great achievement of 87, and um, which Trump tore up in 2019. Yep. Um, so anyway, so W. Bush tears up Nixon's great achievement, the ABM Treaty, and says we're going to install anti-missile systems in Romania and Poland. And, uh, and, and radars in the Czech Republic. And these are to protect Eastern Europe, and for that matter, it's Western Europe, from nuclear missile attack from Iran, which doesn't have nuclear weapons, isn't making nuclear weapons, does not have missiles that can reach Europe, and has no motive whatsoever to nuke Poland of all. <laughs> and the whole thing is completely preposterous. And I swear to you, I looked. Oh, I should ask that chat GPT thing if it can find it for me, man. Yeah, you it found one good footnote for me um, that I could not find. Um, I've been looking for this everywhere, man. If anybody in the audience knows this, man, can find it. I swear it was at a G7 thing, but I won't. Well, no, I'll swear it was a meeting in Europe. I won't swear it was G7. I thought it was G7. It was one of these meetings in Europe. Could have been a NATO meeting. And W. Bush says, well, you know, we're doing, I don't think it was like in his speech. I think he's like milling around talking. It's like, you know, people are talking and there's reporters. And he, and he says, um, well, you know, the missile defense system is all about protecting from the threat from Iran. And everybody in the room just busts out laughing because <laughs> yeah. they can't help it. It's just funny. Yeah, you know? well, they all know it's nonsense. That's right. It's completely ridiculous. And what's funny is because then the same thing happened with Obama. He goes, well, this is all about protecting Poland from Iran. And everyone was like, yes, that is concerning. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah, sure it is. It's a complete joke when W. Bush said it. Um, oh, man. And so, but the problem is this. Okay, first of all, you have the potential for something like a first strike capability. Now, they would need a lot more of them. But the idea is for first strike means canceling mutually assured destruction, which is the, the double deterrent. We won't attack you. You won't attack us because we both know if we do, we lose, we lose too on your retaliatory blow. So there's no mm -hmm. point, right? So it's canceling that. It's saying... We have enough nukes that we can hit you first, and we're confident that we can shoot down enough of your retaliatory, your retaliatory response that we're not worried about it anymore. We're no longer deterred. We got first strike capability. That's what that means. Now, this doesn't give us that, 
But it looks like maybe that's what we're trying to start to achieve here, building up these forces and ringing okay. Russia with them. Yeah. And I think more importantly is the fact that they're dual-use launchers that host the missiles, the Mark 41 missile launchers. It's what they call Aegis Onshore, the same missile launchers that they use in the Aegis battleships for the cruise missile battleships. And um, these and it, can it also two, two the warheads, right? I'm sorry? They have two warheads that are able to be redirected upon re-entry. Is that, do I understand that properly? Uh, which now? I, I thought that the, uh, not the Aegis, but the the other acronym that you used. Uh, I read it in the last chapter of your book. Oh, it was, the Mark 41 launchers? No, the one after that, you said an acronym after that. But it, there was basically one that goes it's around the, the South Pole. And then when it re-enters, it actually has the capacity to to have dual targeting. So like, I guess it can have two. Oh, no, no, no. That's, that's, that's different. That's different. Okay. So we, okay. We'll get to that in a second. That was, that was what I mentioned a minute ago about multiple re-entry vehicles, which okay. both sides have that. Oh, okay. um, although the Russians claim now to have a heavy missile that has more multiple, you know, it's called MIRV, multiple independently targetable reentry vehicles. That's the one. It means yep. multiple warheads that can be directed and controlled and targeted. So you could have, say, one missile hit four or five cities. Yeah, that's fucking you know, from, scary as hell. You know, drops its warhead. So, um, but now, so a Tomahawk cruise missile would just have the one, the one warhead on it. But the thing is, you launch a Tomahawk from the same missile launcher that you launch these anti-ballistic missile missiles with. They're Sparrow mm -hmm. missiles are the uh, more or less benign ones we're talking about here. But with a little bit of effort, you can put an H-bomb on the tip of a Tomahawk and you can place it there. So this is W. Bush is already beginning and Obama and Trump and everybody have continued this mission all the way through unbroken. Um, and they have you know, essentially they were in violation of the spirit of the INF treaty, you know, by building a, a, a mid-range missile capable launcher yeah. in a suspicious kind of a manner with a thin excuse for it to be there. And, you know, W. Bush said, he goes, look, man, this is crazy first strike capability. And even stupid W. Bush was smart enough to understand this. He goes, we don't have enough missiles in these things to shoot down an incoming barrage from Russia. This is Trust me, this is for Iran if they have a missile or two, mm -hmm. right? And Putin said, okay, but then Iran doesn't have missiles and doesn't have nukes, so I don't believe that either. Maybe it's something else. Maybe it's the dual-use capability of these launchers that's really at issue, Bingo. right? Yeah, you know. I don't want to give the guy too much credit. I'm just saying he's the kind of guy who reads books and understands things. I'm not saying like there's any goodness here, but I'm just saying the guy's not a dummy. No, and he doesn't. He's not like Joe Biden up there, or even you know. He's just Obama logically deducing reading books. He Obama was a little bit more of a substantive type person. But if you take W. Bush or Trump or Biden, these are very very superficial people. Of course. And I'm not giving Obama any credit on his your points off of his sins or anything here. I'm just talking about. When you listen to Putin talk, he speaks in complicated phrases and paragraphs and gets real meaning across. Like, let's talk about these Mark 41 missile launchers and their implications in a way yep. that you couldn't get a straight thought, a, a coherent thought out of W. Bush, Biden, nope. or Trump about that. Not none, really. none of them understand right. the inner workings of their state the way Putin does, clearly. And when he talks, they go, what is this guy talking about? You know? It's and and by the way, it was in 07 that he 
complain at the Munich Security Conference, which I guarantee you, they host the security conference in Munich. It must be, and they must have admitted this somewhere. They host the security conference in Munich so that everybody can only ever be tough guys there because nobody can ever repeat Neville Chamberlain's cowardice and caving into Hitler in Munich and all that, right? So that must be why they hold it there every year. Um, but anyway, so he gave this speech that was, you know, basically, I'm sick and tired of this crap. And I'm tired of you guys not listening. So indulge me a little bit. Forgive me for my tone. But I got to make myself clear about some issues here. And that was where he finally drew the line on a lot of this stuff. And, and he, he, ends that, he, off. he ends that speech with, listen to us now. After he like after he's detailing all of these additional nuclear arsenals that they're going to be no, upgrading no, that's and No, you're still oh, that's 15. Okay, okay, my that's bad. 15. <laughs> and we'll get to those nukes. But so the first time that he really complained, it's like he really drew a line that sure we we get along and we're friends, but let's be real here. You guys are working contrary to Russian interests while you pretend that you're not and say that you're not. You are. And so there's a real fight here. So let's go ahead and have this out now kind of thing. Right. You know, drew that line in his Munich speech. Um, and then W. Bush, um, he uh, announced in Bucharest in 2008 that he's bringing Ukraine and Georgia into NATO. Now, um, earlier that year, our current head of the CIA, William Burns, had written this famous memo to Condoleezza Rice, which we have thanks to Chelsea Manning and Julian Assange, who's rotting in a dungeon 23 hours a day still for bringing us this information. The memo is called Nyet Means Nyet, and it's from, I believe, February 1 or February 2 of 2008. And you find it on WikiLeaks.org. And Burns says, look, I just talked with Sergei Lavrov, and he says, enough of this, man. You've got to knock it off. You can't bring Ukraine and Georgia into NATO. He says about Ukraine, he goes, listen, if you do this, it could cause a civil war and then we could be forced to have to choose whether to intervene and we don't want to be put in that position. So just don't put us in that position, man. So we're not going to let you do this. And this is at that Bucharest summit. Putin got pissed and he started yelling at W. Bush and he goes, listen to me, okay? Ukraine is a fake country. It's not even a country, all right? And Part of it was gifted from, I guess he's implying like it was stripped away from Poland and Romania, basically Polish territory in the West there. And the other part of it was gifted by the Soviet Union to them to kind of cobble this thing together. And if you think you're going to put them in uh, Ukraine, I'm telling you, there's not going to be enough of Ukraine left to bring into NATO because I'm taking Crimea you know, you'll you'll definitely not have Crimea. I I could pull up the whole quote here. I'm sorry, I'm kind of butchering it. But he threatened Bush in in no insignificant way. This is just not going to happen. And this is, you know, that that is not statesmanlike. Uh, you know, to to talk like that. So you know, he's being pretty fucking serious. He's been absolutely serious about it. And and so. Um, you know, Fiona Hill, who you'll remember from, you know, the British lady who testified against Trump at his first impeachment trial on the Ukraine Gate hoax. Yep. Um, and she's now, uh, you know, a ubiquitous expert on TV about this stuff and whatever. She worked for W. Bush on the National Security Council. She was one of his Russia guys. And she told this story numerous times, especially before the war. It's, she tries to spin it now like it doesn't matter. 
but it's, she's so explicit previously about this that I told them so, right? And she said this over and over again, uh, really over and over and over again. You can find these quotes from her. And then the closer you get to our current day, the more she tries to spin it like, nah, you know what? Putin wanted to take over all of Europe anyway. Never mind all that stuff I said before, but whatever, man. Because the stuff she said before was she told even this is like the New York Times weekend magazine where they do like this huge profile of her. And mm -hmm. it begins with the anecdote of her telling Bush so. And she says, Cheney's there. And she says, you should not announce that you're bringing Ukraine and Georgia into NATO. You're going to cause such a fight. The CIA, we've talked with the, she's on the National Security Council. She says, we've talked with the CIA. They are high confidence that this is going to blow up in our face. This is a totally bad deal. We should not do it. And we agree we should not do this. She says, and I guess, I don't know, man. She says Cheney scoffs and says, I can't believe you don't believe in democracy and storms out of the room, which is like, I mean, who even knows what that guy is smoking at that point? I really don't know. That's so um, crazy. I mean, you, you got, got, got to keep in mind, too, there's a, a a requirement within NATO that you have to have, like, all of these democratic institutions that are high-functioning. You also have to have no no sort of civil conflict, no, no sort of wars that you're in, no sort of territorial disputes. And you also have to have very minimal corruption. Literally, Ukraine like meets none of these requirements. That's so right. why the fuck are they even floating this idea? Just say that's we're not gonna do it. It's a backwards country that's corrupt as fuck. It's never right. gonna happen. But they Georgia don't. Too. Georgia too. Ongoing yeah. border disputes and everything. Um, so she says Cheney walks out, and I guess democracy in that case just means America's interests, you know, is all he means there. Of course. Um of course. But she says that W. Bush tells her, oh, don't mind him. Go ahead, uh, ma'am. I'm listening. Right. And she says to him, and I believe this story just because to me, this is perfect W. Bush. <laughs> she says, listen, Germany and France really don't want us to do this. They're very concerned that it will provoke Russia unnecessarily. That's why they don't want to do it. And Bush says, oh, good. I like a diplomatic challenge. So I'll see what I can do with Germany and France. In other words, this goddamned idiot, <laughs> right? He can't listen. He can't pay attention. What he doesn't understand asshole. that, man, Germany and France were not the subject of that sentence. They were like the secondary subject. Exactly. The subject of the sentence was Russia is really going to be upset. And the Germans and the French know better than to do this and that's what their objection is right. and he simply turns this to no i get along real good with that angela merkel i'm sure i can convince her god <laughs> damn it and you know like yes I believe fiona hill in that anecdote i believe her that that's how that happened right sure. and her concerns were just dismissed <clears throat> with this idiotic non-answer right and then he goes out there and Germany and France do try to stop him, but he insists on putting out this preliminary announcement. It's not even a real membership action plan to join. It's just like a preliminary announcement that we're going to bring him in as soon as we can someday. And four months later, the president of Georgia attacks the breakaway province of South Ossetia to try to solve his border problem. As you said, you have to have stable solid borders to join nato so here this guy thinks he's on the fast track 
And by the way, Jeffrey Sachs just told me this the other day that he went to the Council on Foreign Relations and saw Shakashvili that this is the guy that America installed in 2003 in the Rose Revolution. Mm -hmm. He saw Shakashvili give a speech at the Council on Foreign Relations in New York after Bucharest, but before the war in August in the intervening time there. And everyone at the CFR was telling him, go get him, Shakashvili. We've got your back, homeboy. Get out there and give him hell, man and leading him to believe that the empire had his back. And so then he attacked this breakaway province. This is in the South Caucasus Mountains. But there was already Russian peacekeepers there under a deal that had been signed with the European Union years before. This is a, a legacy of the fall of the Soviet Union where Ossetia would have rather gone with the Russians but were stuck with the Georgians and so had broken off into the state of autonomy and under with Russian peacekeepers observing, basically guaranteeing their so-called independence, right? So this is a disaster. Russian troops come under the rock, the Roki Tunnel under the Caucasus Mountains and they push back the Georgian forces and protect South Ossetia. And, you know, a few hundred are killed on both sides, I guess. And Dick Cheney at that time urged W. Bush to launch missile strikes at the Russian forces coming under the Caucasus Mountains through that tunnel. Jesus and Stephen Christ. Hadley and the others said, who, you know, W. Bush said, who agrees with Vice? And everybody said no. And I think, I think the story is that Hadley went to everyone first and said, right. when this comes up, you <clears throat> keep your hand down. And what was it, you know, was it in your, in your book where I read that like, there was actually people that were in charge of standing outside of Dick Cheney's office so that they yes. could get to Bush first if he were to oh, start was, to walk. No, it was toward Fiona Hill. It, it was Fiona Hill. Fiona Hill worked, yeah, Fiona Hill worked for Hadley. That's and so crazy. Her job was to, if if Cheney is coming, <clears throat> she's got to get on the phone and warn Hadley that he's coming and make sure that somebody's <laughs> there to intervene and intercept don't, him. And don't let this don't let this fucking demon spawn talk to Bush alone because he'll talk this idiot into you know starting World War III. What a what a fucking clown show. Amazing. And and just like it, it is funny. Um, she just comes up over and over and over throughout this book. It reminds me of Zalme Khalilzad, the neocon in Enough Already, where from the Iranian Revolution and support for the Afghan Mujahideen, all the way through the final exit deal to get out of Afghanistan. It's Zalmay Khalilzad is there the whole, like, just over and over, whether we're backing Iran, whether we're fighting Iran, whether we're backing Iraq, whether we're fighting Iraq, it's all, there's Zal, as they call him, <laughs> is there all the time. And there's Fiona. Fiona. Zal of the new story. <laughs> I'm sure she, she would love that comparison. <laughs> I, I bet she would. Um, and she looks just like him, too. Uh, <laughs> anyway. Um... <laughs> Dang old, uh, so W. Bush, he doesn't listen to her and, and makes the very bad call of uh, helping to provoke this war. At least he, he, he refrains from starting World War III there um, <laughs> in Georgia. And, uh, and the Russians fucking crush it. Yeah, and I guess, you know, you should also say that, you know, Iraq War II was a huge provocation against Russia as well. You know, they urged us not to do it. They would have vetoed it on the Security Council if Bush had taken it to the Security Council. He had no authority to do it. Completely destabilized the Middle East. It radicalized tens of thousands of new bin Ladenite jihadi fighters, which, after all, to us are a faraway problem almost always, but to them are not you to know, Russia. close by. And they've had years worth of 
uh, problems yeah. with him dating back to Jimmy Carter. You and know? you and you make it clear also that basically they use uh, I think it was Chechnya that they use as kind of the staging ground for these Islamic extremists that like they go between Syria, they go between Iraq, they go like all over the place, and they like we're we're essentially making these guys hardened war veterans that are now just sitting there waiting to you know start shit with Russia essentially. Is that right. a fair? read of it absolutely i mean okay. what are you gonna do with them get, they're gonna get jobs all they know how to do <laughs> no, they're is just they're just set up like a bomb and cut a guy's killers throat, you know? yeah, yeah they're mercenaries now you know well hey I, I have a i have an interesting question for you because this is a uh obviously we're getting we're getting close to uh maidan but there's there's a, a consistent claim made by destiny in his prior debates that essentially there's a massive difference between what America does with its imperialist chicanery when it comes to Iraq and Afghanistan and everything else, because we don't take land. We occupy it. We kill innocent people. We commit all these sorts of war atrocities and blah, 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 blah. But we ultimately we leave. We leave, Scott. So we're totally different. The fact that they want to take Crimea makes this as an existential threat. And the fact that it's Europe makes it a particularly existential threat. I don't know the fuck why. That's what he says. Um, what do you say to that? Well, I mean, if he's trying to draw a moral distinction, yes. it's completely laughable, right? I, if he's I agree, but Stalin, what he says. look, I mean, at the end of the Second World War, Stalin kept all of Eastern Europe all the way to the Elbe River. So, um, you know, or if you look at like the degree of of British control of india or french control in indochina like this is true colonialism right yeah. and but he's but his his claim we is don't that practice colonialism right we have this neo-neo yes. colonialism right. right this is like we, we decide say, we decide through election interference who's going to rule over this shit yes right. they cut us better deals but we you know we keep our hands basically clean so it's totally different and moral and we'll go to war for a regime change if we have to too well, yeah, we will. Schools, right yeah um but then um and and look, uh, there's no question either that the Soviet Union, they killed like a million Afghans. America only killed like half a million. <laughs> so we're the benevolent yeah. imperialist force, I guess. Yeah, and look, and the Soviets, they weren't like moving their population there to colonize and, and take over Afghanistan. They were doing a regime change. They were trying to prop up some sock puppets who weren't doing so well and needed some assistance. Sound well, familiar? Yeah. That's the yeah. same war that we just, and again, as I was saying earlier about Putin trying to get along with W. Bush, we not only just fought a 20-year war in Afghanistan, we just fought the Russians' war in Afghanistan. Right. We switched sides in the war and fought for the Tajik-Uzbek alliance in the north and the hazaras alliance against the pashtun mujahideen right uh, or the tajiks were the basis of the communist party mm. um you know well, up keep, there. So, keep in mind too that it's august 21 where putin's essentially his like his it's not really a declaration of war but it's absolutely laying the thesis by which he intends to invade ukraine and in it he basically is citing, I don't know if it was that one or if it was a little bit later, but regardless, in that six-month interim, you know, right before the war, you know, the invasion into Ukraine, he's he's quoting, he's using our foreign policy over the past 20 years when it comes to WMDs and terrorism and, you know, defending right. national interests and blah, blah, blah. He's using all of our logic. So how the fuck do we still, how does Destiny, an American, still sit there and say, they are unjustified, America is? Like, for the life of me, I just can't wrap my head around it. 
Well, look, I mean, the easy answer to that is you just leave out everything that happened since Harry Truman, right? I mean, we, <laughs> we, we made, we, look, I was raised on this and people are, I think we all are raised on this in government school, right? Is after the second world war, well, first of all, after the first world war, our friends, the French and the English beat the Germans down so damn bad. They resorted to Adolf Hitler to get their revenge. Bad call. So we decided in our, you know, eminent wisdom that after we beat Germany and Japan in the Second World War, that we didn't occupy them and colonize them. And, you know, the Morgenthau plan for completely destroying Germany was overruled by Truman after FDR died, right? And I was just reading that in a Romando column this morning, in fact. Um, and... Uh, we befriended the Germans and we befriended the Japanese. I mean, we burnt Japan to the damn ground and then we rebuilt them and we made them our friends. And so that was also invoked 20 years ago for invading Iraq. That look, we invade people ultimately for their own good. And people who get invaded by us, they like it ultimately as the Japanese and the Germans. Being dominated by our empire is far superior to being dominated by somebody else's. No, don't don't ask the Afghanis. If you want to compare America's policy in Europe after World War II to Soviet policy in Europe after World War II, well, there's just no comparison. America did not control France and Germany in the way that the Soviet Union did. I mean, although they probably didn't need to because they had the Soviet Union hanging over their head and they appreciated our help to keep them out. But I think the level of control that Moscow had over East German, the East German government and East German society. It was extreme. far away, far and away beyond. This is, it was communism. So it was centralized totalitarian control where ultimately America is, you know, what we export is this quasi free market system right. and, and quasi bill of rights type system. So life in West Germany was no question, no comparison better than life in East Germany by of course. light years. But, but, this, but we're, talk, we're talking USSR. that. You know, but, but we're talking USSR. I mean, basically, yeah, what he right. what what he says is that from ninety two, I think it was ninety two. Was it ninety two when Ukraine's borders were established after the fall of USSR? Or ninety one. Ninety one. Okay. Yeah. I didn't right know if it, there, yeah. I didn't know if it took a year for them to like put it together. Um. So he his claim is essentially that since ninety one, that that border has not been in dispute, and there has there is no example of America acquiring land or essentially establishing new borders for any nations. Is that oh, true? That's not true. Now, stealing it for ourselves, like the Mexican session or something like that. Right. No, we haven't done a Mexican session since the Mexican session, mm-hmm. maybe. But America, completely without any legal authorization whatsoever from any you know, power on earth, justly established, launch an aggressive war against Serbia to break off Kosovo for the Kosovo Liberation Army, who were a bunch of Bin Ladenites and drug dealers and, you know, heroin dealers and terrorists. And there, you know, uh, Joe Biden called Hashim Thaisi the George Washington of Kosovo 
Really? Well, later, the International Criminal Court convicted him for stealing people's organs and selling them on the black market, right? <laughs> well, and keep in mind, too, that, I mean, th what the, what he'll claim in response to that is, well, there was genocide happening in, in uh, Kosovo. But that's a damn lie. That's just right. an absolute lie. And there were no mass graves found at all. They found a total of 3,000 corpses, and most of them were fighting age males, and most of them killed in battle, not even executed. Is it and still in dispute? massacre that was used to the, as the excuse to start it, it was an absolute hoax. It didn't even happen. They took all the fighters from the dead from a nighttime of battle, uh, uh, you know, a night of battle, and they took them all and dumped all the bodies in a ditch and went, look, oh, they shot them all and put them in a ditch. Right. And it was total And, and they said that they had no gunpowder on them, so you knew that the firing had come from a they distance. Said, look, there are 50,000 bodies buried in that mine shaft over there. There wasn't a single body in the mine shaft, not oh, one. Oh, there's a mass grave two hills from here, right? Like Judy Miller. Oh, there's weapons of mass destruction, two sand dunes from here. Yeah. <laughs> two hills away, you'll find the mass grave of 100,000 innocent Kosovar Albanian civilians. Total lie. And never happened. And the FBI investigators went home after two weeks. There's nothing to find. And the, Absolute the, hoax. And, and the, by and, the way, they did the same thing in South Sudan. They broke off South Sudan from Sudan. Why? Because yeah. the Americans wanted it to try to check China. They'll change oh, the border anytime they want. How about when Donald Trump recognized Morocco's sovereignty over their stolen half of the nation of Western Sahara? Mm. They just invaded and occupied it and stole it. They've been in violation of the international law. International Court of Justice has ruled on this over and over again. It's stolen occupied land. Donald Trump said, well, Morocco, if you'll get along better with Israel, you can have northern Western Sahara. Is it the liberal rules-based international <laughs> order of law under the United Nations Charter? That's the American empire gets to do whatever they want. And how about the Israelis colonizing the West Bank on America's dime and with America's diplomatic protection? Outright war crimes all day, every day, moving their civilian population of colonists into stolen, conquered land. And why? Oh, because it says in their religion that they can. <laughs> that's all. That's all part. That's all part of the liberal world order. Yeah, that's right. Natural rights mean nothing, because we got supernatural rights that come from the Old Testament, not the new one even, but the old one. Well, and this, so, man, this is what I've. This is what I've been oh, looking for. That's right. So, so look, America can. They can break the law whenever they want. They can break, okay. and look, they break every agreement that they make too. Yeah, you know, um, well, as we in, talked in, about with all these treaties, with you know, oh yeah, um, I mean, it's it's basically unilateral withdrawal over and over again, and, and it's like it. these these are really good treaties. These are benefits to human civilization, and it's just like, well, we'll just leave whenever we want, and and then people wonder like, oh, well, why don't we want to, you know, why why won't people negotiate with us in a diplomatic fashion? It's like because we can't be fucking trusted anymore. Where and there's I mean, a paragraph in there too. Um, where I kind of go through a, a short list of Clinton had a deal with North Korea and W. Bush broke it, just like Nixon had a deal with the Soviet Union and then Russia and W. Bush broke it, right? Then Bush had a deal with Libya and Obama came in and yep. broke it and killed him. Yep, Hillary, then, baby. Yep, then Obama had his deal with Iran and Donald Trump came in and broke that. Good Lord, And man. Donald Trump also tore up Ronald Reagan's deal the 1987 INF treaty and Nixon's uh, deal with the open sky, or sorry, HW Bush's open skies treaty. 
that he tore up as well. And then Biden comes in and uh, at least delayed the deal to get out of Afghanistan, which caused that the withdrawal to go completely to hell and refused to get back into any of these deals, refused to honor Bill Clinton's um, U.S. Uh, Russia, or sorry, the NATO Russia Founding Act of 1997, and his promise not to put um, uh, American military equipment into the new NATO nations in Eastern Europe, mm-hmm. and it's all they do is they just break promises, break treaties, rewrite the law whenever they want. Um, as you said quite correctly, in Putin's declaration of war, he made you know not explicit, but very close, right? He was clearly, you know, making references to Clinton's war in Kosovo, where he said that um, you, you know, broke off this territory in the name of these humanitarian concerns. You broke it away and don't need a UN resolution to authorize it either. And he said, weapons of mass destruction because um, uh, uh, Vladimir Zelensky had threatened to withdraw from the Budapest agreement of 1994 where they gave up their nukes and promised not to get them again oh this this is no no weapons of mass destruction and then he said and by the way there's a genocide going on against the civilian population in the east and so he invoked uh obama's responsibility to protect in libya and so he goes well if bush and obama if clinton bush and obama can use these excuses to invade whatever country they want then i'll so use the exact same excuses to invade this country now well, and 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 honestly though like his justification is better because it's a fucking bordering country it like all of our all of our indiscretions happen thousands of miles away from our border he's actually dealing with his actual border so and and his own people i mean most of these people are russian speaking they they view themselves as russian to a large extent is particularly in the donbass region it's like his his explanation well i don't necessarily agree with it it's like it is more justifiable of an explanation than it was for any of the things that he's drawing from and look i mean as I've said in the book, and I've said many times before, like the very worst thing, I said this in Enough Already, which was, you know, came out a year before this war broke out. It was, you know, came out in January of 2001, uh, 2021. And in there, I said, look, the very worst things that Russia has done in this century so far is in Syria and Ukraine. They've killed a lot of innocent people in their interventions in both cases. And in both cases, it's the USA's fault. Yeah, because we just, let it. You know, and we won't do a whole tangent into Syria here, but if people want to read up on Syria, it's in enough already. Or in fact, if you put my name into YouTube and with a chapter, you'll find a, a video version of my enough yeah, already chapter great. where I explain Syria there. Oh, quick, um, quick tangent though. I, I need to, to get your response as to the Budapest memorandum and, hmm. and you know, our, our assurance to Ukraine, essentially like a de facto NATO member because they gave up their nukes. Like, what oh, do you yeah, say to that? Oh, yeah, that's just a damn lie. I mean, look, I, I strongly encourage you, follow the footnote and read the text yourself. Okay. So that you'll know, you don't need to rely on me. Okay, read the text yourself of the Budapest memorandum. It does not say that. It says that if anybody ever violates Ukrainian sovereignty, why, well, take it to the UN Security Council and have a debate. Which they would have done anyways. <laughs> so it's not a you promise know, of anything. But measures but, will be taken or something. But, but I think I think it is an important question, though. I mean, granted, 
the these nuclear warheads that existed in Ukraine, as far as my understanding is that they were formerly USSR. So like they, right. I, I don't even think that the Ukraine they were useless. Yeah, they didn't know how to use them. But but why would Ukraine have given them up? Well, they gave them up because first of all, Bill Clinton was pressuring them to, okay. but it also because they didn't have the codes, so they couldn't use them. It would have taken a level of expertise they did not have to safely dismantle them and try to build a new nuke around the plutonium cores that they had or whatever it was, the the tritium triggers and these kinds of things. This is all short half-life stuff. So they just didn't have the capacity to use them yeah, or to even still, hold them as a credible deterrent. So they gave them seems, back to Russia. It still seems like if I was in that position, I mean, I guess unless you're just if you're not prepared for war, because I, I guess Russia could have theoretically threatened them at that point. But it is it is an interesting decision to make, especially if you're not receiving any sort of ironclad uh, defense promises from NATO or from the U.S. Well, or I, said, I mean, they were worthless as weapons. There's no deterrent in holding a nuclear bomb that you don't know the codes. <laughs> right. To. right. You can't launch it. So. Yeah, the trigger in it, the half-life ran out six years ago, and it's on a clear dud sitting there doing nothing. Yeah. It's not a deterrent. So there's no point in holding on to them at that point. Okay. And, and in exchange for giving them up, this led to, you know, help warm relations between the new two countries and, you know, natural gas deals. Man, the stuff I've read, I decided to not try to keep track of it all in the book or try to explain it all because I think a lot of it's sort of superfluous information anyway. Sure. Um, but trying to wrap your head around all of the different uh, back and forth of the deals of gas transit from Russia through Ukraine to Europe and how many times they've changed the deal and how many times the Ukrainians have been caught stealing the gas and having to pay it back and then getting the loan, getting a loan and then getting that forgiven and then back and forth over and over and all tied up with the status of the Black Sea fleet on Sevastopol and all of this. I mean, it's impossible. You'd have to be only an oil and gas guy to have really, you know, learned the ins and outs of every bit of it. But a, a huge part of it is, of course, with Nord Stream and everything, is the Russians want to get this gas to market without having to rely on the Ukrainians because they're so damned unreliable. And well, they that, steal as much gas as they, you know, transit that, through. That and also they pay them billions of dollars in transit fees. And I'm sure that they would prefer not to if they could avoid it. But um, I think a, an interesting um, kind of ending note because uh, i mean we, and i don't think we can go through 14 and in, in my dawn and everything else we would be here forever yeah. but uh maybe we can do that uh sometime in, in the future maybe when your book's coming out we can do that well um, i'll give you a, i'll give you a, a very fast obama which is just he did okay. the coup in 2014 the new government threatened to throw the russians out of the sevastopol naval base at which point putin said absolutely not and took over the crimean peninsula the whole thing of it. And much more than any other part of Ukraine, the Crimeans really did prefer to be with Russia. Mm -hmm. Now, people in the East, they speak Russian, but that doesn't necessarily mean they want to be Russians right. you know, under Russian control. Well, until, until they got bombed for eight years, I'm sure that yeah, changed. It, yeah, that'll ways. help change your mind. Yeah. But it's clear that, um, you know, there was a ton of, of dissent in the East and they did not want to be ruled by the new coup d'etat junta. And so they took over government buildings and then the government immediately responded, the national government immediately responded by bombing them. They declared a war on terrorism and launched a massive war. And this kills something like 10,000 people in just the first year. And, and the Nazis that they had used to do the coup came and were essential auxiliary forces 
for the Ukrainian military at that time and committed, you know, really bad atrocities during that time. And that that's well, C-14 in Azov? That's right. And so then the, the, the Russians, right the Russians did intervene with, I guess, special operations forces at least twice in 2014, late 2014 and in early 2015, which helped to precipitate the Minsk agreements, which were led by the Germans and the French. And they say now that they never meant a peace deal. They always just saw this as a delaying tactic so that NATO could build up Ukrainian forces for the next time around. And so they never really did implement the peace deal, even though it was America's best allies that signed it and that Obama's government and the UN checked off on it. And then they did stop the airstrikes and they did pull back the heaviest artillery, but they kept what's called, you know, low level fighting going for seven years straight and they would never fully implement the minsk deal and and then obama did he you know claimed reluctance but he did sell weapons to them uh after the coup and keep that war going that whole time and then when trump came in of course he was falsely accused of treason with Russia. And I'm sure everyone in your audience already knows this, but they they should know that not one bit of that was true. Okay. None. The entire Russiagate thing, which was, I don't know, 1,000 lies, if you stack them up and don't exaggerate, 1,000 lies. It was all not true. See, the, I need and, to ask you a quick question about that because, yeah. you know, you tend to, you know, poo-poo the the grand conspiracy but when you have a thousand lies all going in the same direction that had to have been orchestrated right yeah it was the fbi and the cia and you know with the democrats who had originated it and their you know public relations firms okay and they came up with you know the original core group of lies was the alpha server the yada the russian yada phones the the russian traffic on on trump uh tower uh uh, right. uh the wiretaps uh, which have you and, and the um the steel dossier all that came from perkins coy the law firm that was hired by the democrats to come up yeah. with the hoax in the first place and then and there it was just the fbi counterintelligence division and cia just coming up with whatever leak that they could in order to try to implement implicate the guy and it was to either if we can't overthrow him through the 25th amendment then we'll at least as they put it then rein him in right. and prevent him from changing the policy and, which and guess what it worked. They got worked. the fucking idiot to go and sell a bunch of shit to to Ukraine to Which arm them up yep. and 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 give the catalyst for this war. That's right. And look, he would have had to really been clever to figure his way out of that trap. They got him good, but yeah. he could have done it. Um, not to go too far down that path, but just the point being that his best idea was, well, I'll just bomb Russia's friends in Syria. And I'll just arm the Ukrainians and that will impress the establishment and they'll understand that I'm really not a pro-Russian guy or I wouldn't do that, would I? And in mm -hmm. fact, I could have swore I had this quote about Ukraine, but I can't find it. So I guess I have to give up. Um, <laughs> but I definitely did find the quote about Syria that Eric Trump, no, pardon me. Donald Trump Jr. I forget if it was Jr. or Eric. I think it was Eric Trump said after they bombed Syria. See, if we were Russian agents, we wouldn't have bombed Syria. That proves that we're not, you know, this yeah. kind of thinking. And so, you know, he he's, made he's, it worse and he definitely did not make it better that whole time. Right. And so by the time Biden comes in, he spends the entire year of 2021 
essentially antagonizing the Russians and refusing to deal in good faith. And the Russians had demands, but their proposed treaty, and I've talked to a lot of real ass experts with very high credentials like Chas Freeman, who you know went with Nixon to make friends with China in 1973 mm. and was the former ambassador to Saudi Arabia and was almost the head of the National Intelligence Council, but the Israel lobby stopped him in the mm. Obama years. But he and, and quite a few other, you know, very serious experts have told me that that the proposed Russian treaty, while not perfect, and they would never expect the Americans to just roll over and sign at the bottom, was absolutely a reasonable basis for discussion of negotiations with them. Yeah. And the Americans refuse to treat it that way. As uh, as Daryl Cooper, Martyr Maid, says, they treat Putin they talk to him and they talk about him like he's Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi, the <laughs> dictator of the ISIS caliphate. They right? really he do. No legitimacy and is yeah. a dead man walking and we're going to murder him soon, right? Like yeah. That's, this, That is how they treat him. Which I don't think anybody would argue that about Baghdadi, but we're talking about the president of Russia and it's just not the same damn thing, pal. No. <laughs> you know, it's just not. And But they give him no legitimacy at all. You know, when he said... I want to, I want you to pull your military forces back to where they were in 1997. They went, what? 1997? Like that's 1897. Right. That's ridiculous hoax. What is he jerking our chain? In fact, they cited that to say, see, he's not trying to negotiate in good faith. If right. Putin was trying to negotiate in good faith with us, he wouldn't be bringing up this ancient crap from 1997. Well, what's he talking about? He's talking about the founding act where they created the Russian NATO council, the NATO Russia council, and where Bill Clinton gave his solemn promise that we will not move our military equipment into the countries that we've now added to the NATO alliance. And I have the direct quote, and it's it's from Michael McFall to his buddy, who quotes him saying, yeah, until we wake up one morning and decide we want to, which was how it played out in practice. But they treated Putin's demand, and I want you to go back to what you swore. As, you know, as unreasonable, as laughably unreasonable, as laughably unreasonable as yeah. as proof that he is the unreasonable one here. And there's no reason for us to negotiate with him. Yeah. And look, it's so clear why they were willing to go back to, to the end of 21, beginning of 22. They were willing to say, you better not do it. There will be such consequences if you do. We're going to we're already pouring in weapons to meet you there. And we'll pour in even more and we'll wage an economic war on you, the likes of which you've never seen. Don't you dare damn do it. Now, that's not very good diplomacy, but I could see that maybe working on somebody in some circumstances when the Americans are serious. Our Treasury Department is almost as powerful as our DOD or CIA if they really pump your ass, right? Yeah. And so I would accept an argument that said, Biden was trying to talk Putin out of doing it with that. However, he was not willing to give an inch. No. He goes, look, man, of course we'll let you inspect our anti-missile missiles in Poland. But no, we're not going to sign a treaty that says that. And we're not yeah. going to pull them out of there. We're not even going to entertain the possibility of negotiating their withdrawal from right. there. In it's the not name of, again, Iran, which still... 
now that we're 15 years from George W. Bush's days, they still don't have a missile that could reach <laughs> Poland or a single atom bomb to marry yeah. it to. Oh, and and they also had, uh, you know, basically a, an agreement that Trump tore up that said That's that right. they wouldn't uh, develop them. So, they wouldn't. Yep. yeah, it, it's it's very frustrating. And and what it strikes me with is that, like, essentially, I think that people like Destiny and and really the State Department, the whole global homo neocon, you know, camp within our government and in our politics um they they just perceive america as like when we bully the fuck out of people it's good and when russia does it it's the worst thing ever and obviously yeah. we should threaten world war three over it and i just i just feel like my personal stance on this is like look i'm not saying what he did is good i'm saying that america is the last country on earth that gets to tell him you can't behave like this yeah. You, like we have no moral standing to say that to him. That's my that's my opinion, at least. Of course. Look, and you said at the beginning, uh, the title is provoked unless right. somebody steals it from me before I get this damn thing out. The title <laughs> is and I already bought the barcode, you bastards. It's it's called provoked how America started the new Cold War with Russia and the catastrophe in Ukraine. And look, I'm glad you bring up you know, essentially boys in the neighborhood type of a scenario here. Cause it's the way that virtually all of us think about foreign policy is certainly the way the experts talk about foreign policy. Mm -hmm. And it's a great frame of reference, right? That like in the neighborhood, there's one big tough kid who's a really nice kid and he helps the other bullied kids stand up to the bully, right? Then you have the bully who's the big strong kid who just takes advantage of it and lords it over everyone else. Right. The Americans believe, despite all evidence, that they're the hero who We're goes around protecting the weak from the bully. But yeah. they're not. They're the bully. And you can't yeah. ever tell them, dude, you're not Christopher Reeve, Superman, the Virgin Boy Scout. You are Lex Luthor. And they just don't – they can't see it that way. And they yeah. – Look, there's a reason, there's a few reasons they call it the liberal rules-based world order, right? Like, first of all, it's to lie to us, but second of all, it's the lie that they tell themselves. Right. Because how can you how can you live with yourself if you're I mean, and honestly, from a from a voter's standpoint, like I get why it's so hard for them to accept the libertarian, anti-war, non-interventionist perspective on all of the atrocity that the American military has committed or the State Department has committed over the past 40 years. It's fucking it's 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 hard to look at, but it's doesn't yeah. change the reality of it. And look, the least violent of our recent presidents, Jimmy Carter, is the one who kicked all this off. He told Saddam Hussein, go ahead, invade Iran. I got your back. And he and he sent, he worked with the Saudis to send all the Mooj to go and fight the Soviets in Afghanistan. Well, the consequences were that at the end of the Iran-Iraq war, Saddam was in debt to Kuwait. Mm. And, he, and to settle his war debts, he decided to invade Kuwait instead. So it started the dominoes. That's right. And once we attacked Iraq... Now we got to occupy bases in Saudi Arabia, and now we turn our mujahideen against us, you well, know, and the war. And so, and that, and then that leads to, as I recounted the history of the Al Qaeda attacks in the '90s, and then once September 11th hits, it kicks war off an terror. entire generation of war in Afghanistan, Iraq, Libya, Syria, Somalia, Yemen, and down into Mali, Niger, and. Oh. 
keep in mind Burkina too Faso. our our national debt goes from a trillion to 33 or 32 trillion in that time frame we also have the the patriot act and the nsa tsa all this shit right like it, the entire uh you know surveillance state uh, basically is a is a product of these decisions so it's and look like, let it, me say one more thing here real quick at the end because oh i was going to say about waco i'm working on a waco project Oh no! I, I before we do Waco, I, I gotta oh. I gotta ask you a couple more questions. Um, first well, off, it's gonna be a Bill Clinton reference. Well, no, we can we can still do it, but it just okay. this is this is really timely. Um, so you have basically Destiny's perspective is like, okay, yes, America has done some bad things, but we're good here. And uh, yeah, I know we you and I know all the history as to why we're not good here. But regardless, that's his perspective. All right, so now he's saying his argument is, what. Where do you draw the line when it comes to a nuclear power bullying a neighbor and taking land? And my perspective is America has lost its ability to do that. It is it is now delegated to the neighboring nations that actually understand some of the you know geopolitical uh, relationship issues that have transpired. They're they're actually intimately threatened by these interactions. Like that should be the people that that fight you fight for your own land it, it, like it's not america's job it's, even though we've created these problems so that's that's my last thing right because he's begging the question in the first place is all he's doing right he's like going hey man what color corvette are we putting in your driveway this afternoon red or yellow right <laughs> is what he he's trying to lie and to get you to accept that what's happening here is a nuclear armed power is just going around extorting land out of others and things but that's not what's happening and what's happening is the united states has picked this fight the united states put the people of the donbass region into this conflict between russia and the nationalist-led government in kiev got thousands of them killed and essentially put the russians wall uh, you know back to the wall and forced them to react this is just right. as simple as that so he wants to go oh no it's this now we're talking about a hypothetical scenario where okay so can we change the subject to israel again how long should we accept a nuclear armed power lording Just it over their neighbors and stealing Palestine, whatever yeah. land they want does he right. want to talk about that you know <laughs> um that's not what's going on in the case of russia and ukraine so well he brings uh, he brings up not a hypothetical right it's trying to twist the facts of this circumstance to fit a hypothetical that just doesn't fit i, I agree yep. but he he brings up the track record with georgia and with uh obviously like, ukraine was there one other that they had a a, a war in the not too distant past russia well, syria again these are all america's fault no 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 i know but was there another one yeah. besides syria like a neighboring nation that they actually briefly invaded no. in them no okay so it's just georgia and ukraine that's it yeah, in the post-Cold War era, yeah. And they went to okay. war in Syria to protect the regime there from America's suicide bomber, right. you know. Because that was their ally. Because we switched sides in the terror war back to the terrorists again. <laughs> right, right. Um, All right. They went well, to that... protect the secular regime there, which was ultimately probably the right thing to do, although the way that they did it was pretty brutal. It wasn't any more brutal than the American air war there. Yeah. Well, before we do the Waco, uh, let's yeah. let's basically wrap this up with a tidy little bow. My my personal perspective, and and as you know, there was a tentative uh, peace agreement in March, one month after the invasion, uh, right. that that was killed by Boris Johnson. Uh, at as far as I can tell, the explicit direction of the State Department of the U.S. Um, but essentially, what they wanted is, I think, the most reasonable ask, which is that 
Crimea, which they had a lease on. Actually, I need to ask you about that. They had that lease. It was torn up by Zelensky, correct? Well, no, no. So they had a lease on the naval base there. Right. Uh, Sevastopol. Sevastopol. That's under right. a deal that the new so Zelensky wasn't elected until 2019 it was Poroshenko was the president after the Maidan right and it was actually before he was even elected it was under the interim government that oh, that's right that gap four guy. That former was presidents signed an open letter saying now is our chance to cancel the Kharkiv pact with Russia which was the agreement that allowed them to stay and I actually think I have the whole block quote in there okay. if you control that for Kharkiv you'll find it so they said um you know, in an open letter that was published in the Kiev Post and so forth. Now's our chance to kick the Russians out of the Sevastopol naval base. And that was right that after Maidan. The Russians took the whole peninsula. And that, that was right after Maidan, right? That was right after Maidan, right, in okay. March of 2014. So, so they, they only had a lease on the port. They didn't actually have primary control over Crimea, but they did have, uh, right. you know, 60 now, so or 70 percent Russian. Now, so look, Catherine the Great won... Crimea away from the Turks, from the Ottomans, in 1783, the same year that we signed our peace with Great Britain at the end of the Revolutionary War, right? Four years before our constitution was written. So Crimea was part of Russia, like Massachusetts is part of the USA. But what happened was in 1954, after Stalin died, there was a power struggle and Khrushchev needed the support of the Communist Party of Ukraine to consolidate his power as the dictator in Moscow. So he gave, as they all put it, as a gift, he gave Crimea to Ukraine. Of course, at that time, it didn't really matter. It was like a matter of prestige. Everybody was answerable to the Kremlin. They were the rulers of the totalitarian right. dictatorship at the time. It'd be like a duke or something. That's right. <laughs> yeah. So it was like, this is, um, this is almost like a matter of paperwork. Then when the Soviet Union falls apart, you know, they completely fell apart. And the Russians were really in no position to contest it. And it's it's a complicated thing. I, I, I try to develop this a bit in the chapter without, like, overkilling it. But essentially, they went back and forth domestically inside Crimea over whether they wanted to join with the Russians or whether they could try to be independent or whether they were going to stay with Ukraine. And one time they had an independence-minded president, but then they got rid of him. I guess the, the Kiev government got rid of them. And so essentially, with, with some controversy, the status quo was holding from you know the end of the Soviet Union through 2014. Right. It was the coup. And the threat of the new government to kick the Russians out of their naval base that led them to just take the whole peninsula back. Right. Well, that, that, that plus the, you know, the desire to be added to NATO, you're like, all right, oh, I can't, I can't have Crimea or one, you know, year round like, warm water port be that's what out of our said. hands. He said that explicitly. He right. goes, what in the hell is supposed to happen? We're supposed to let NATO, uh, you know, uh, let Ukraine join NATO when Crimea is in dispute. We say it belongs to us, but Ukraine still says it belongs to them. And now you're going to bring them into the NATO alliance in the middle of a controversy like that? No way, man. Right. We, I, I better break Ukraine before you buy it. Yeah, exactly. I'm not going to let that happen. Well, and and wasn't was the referendum just in the Donbass region, or was there a referendum in Crimea to? to well, there's be... a, a referendum in Crimea right away. 
Okay. And I think a legitimate one and one that has been verified by independent polling firms and so forth, that the people of Crimea were ready to leave. They only, now they did, oh, and they did, they did referendums in the Donbass as well, which were for autonomy and, you know, not full separation, but for essentially strong federalism, right? Uh, like statehood, the equivalent of statehood rather than just like yeah. a, a, the province, a status like of a Texas. province, right? <laughs> yeah. But then the leaders of the of the Donbass separatist you know movement they asked to join the Russian Federation and Putin <laughs> told them no right and he could have absorbed them right then but and he and, would have rather pursued the peace deal with Germany at the time which is what he did instead and i think the other thing that people need to understand and i didn't know this is that Donbass region is actually pretty poor and like it the russians don't want to take on i guess essentially you know being there benefactor or like they, they don't want to have to take care of it right um, now but they didn't that's right, right and look, right. It's, it's actually the most heavily industrialized part of ukraine but that's kind of deceptive because it's, it's all industry. soviet industry it's right. a not all but almost all right so in fact speaking of which there are still i don't know if to this day but uh, if they're still doing this exactly or how they're doing this but right on the eve of the war and and again last october they launched American astronauts on Russian rockets on powered by Ukrainian rocket motors. Crazy. Right. This is what we should all be doing that our three nations is working together and doing cool shit like that. I agree, it's, man. It's, it's tragic. tragic. So so do you think that that Russia has a better claim over Crimea than the Ukrainians? Yes. I oh, do. Oh, interesting. Okay. Could I mean, you... look, I, I'm not a nation state guy either way, right? Of course. So like I I it's I'm of the opinion if you have a referendum and people want to leave, they can always fucking do that. That's my opinion. But, you know. Yeah, look, I mean, there. this is always the problem nations ever since I was a little kid. Well, what do you mean if you don't like it, you can leave? But, like, what if I I just want it to be different, but I still want to stay here where I am, whatever. So, like, if let's say 90% of the people of Crimea want to be part of Russia, but 10% really don't, then exactly. Shrug. Yeah. Those yeah. are the breaks, right? But it, it ain't really fair necessarily. No, it's nothing. Percent have to be transferred to this new sovereignty. Yeah, but it's just at some the nature point, of democracy. What are you gonna do? You know what I mean? Right. And especially when, again, this is America's fault. They're the ones who forced this issue, not the Russians. Of they course. were the ones who brought the thing to the head, and and you but, know. But do you make do you way. make that justification based off of the the referendums, or do you make it based off of um, you know violations that the Ukrainians? made in terms of like they're attacking russian speakers in donbass and then the oh, yeah, US no, intervention. I mean, no if the if the if the um referendums in in crimea had come out and said they all wanted to remain with ukraine by super majorities and the russians just took them anyway then, then would that would be, be a hell of a thing but that's okay. just not the case you know okay i think that's fair i think that's a fair stance and and yeah. one that if you're going to talk about fucking defending democracy well how about the people that voted to get the fuck out of ukraine like how about yeah. them do they have and a super say majorities too super super yeah majorities. was it 65 or something percent like that i forget the number now but okay. it was yeah more than two it was north of 60 though yeah yeah um so <laughs> So is it is that the is that the inevitable end? Because look, I'm I'm no you know expert in this arena, but I, I have now spent a lot of time reading up on it. Um, my my personal opinion is that 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 deal that they had you know at least tentatively in March is the most prudent, reasonable end to this thing. That well, you have. we got a problem, man. I mean, I agree with that. Really, that like ultimately, and this isn't perfect, but I think you know, yeah, let the Russians keep Donetsk and Luhansk 
and give back Zaporozhye and Kherson, which right. they've now taken. But, you know, Putin just visited Kherson last weekend. So he's he's and signaling he ain't giving it back. That's right. So listen, as, as recently as last August, the Russians still had the same demands. Promise neutrality. You won't join NATO. You won't put missiles in there. And um, uh, strong federalism for, right. or I guess at that point, you'd have to recognize the independence of the Donbass quote-unquote independence under russian protection you know mm -hmm. yeah but then the ukrainians scored a great victory in september the weekend of september 11th last year in 22 and they did a big fake in kursan and then they got their ass up there in kharkiv and mm -hmm. drove them back from kharkiv and took even a bit of northern lahansk so this was a giant route for the russians so putin got mad and announced he was uh, you know, calling up 300,000 more reserves and he's Declared now the official yeah. annexation of right. Zaporozhye and Kherson, which is all the land all the way to Crimea and even to a bit northwest of Crimea. It's where almost to Odessa, right? Is, so that, now, is that basically like the entire landmass east of the Dnieper or whatever it's called? Yes, and including some west of the Dnieper as well. Really? Wow. Yes. Although they withdrew from that, uh, but they still claim it. They don't oh, control all the territory that they've claimed, but they've <laughs> officially annexed That's all four crazy. of these provinces. So they say, look, as we'll, we'll be happy to negotiate with you as soon as you recognize our sovereignty over the four provinces we've annexed. And then the then the Ukrainians go, yeah, well, we'll negotiate with you as soon as you turn yourself into the war crimes tribunal. <laughs> right. So there's no negotiating that's happening at this point. Yeah, like you guys are going to have to climb down. People are going to have to find a real incentive to climb down. And like, frankly, I don't know, man. I think it was already pretty clear that the Russians are going to keep at least the majority of Donetsk and Luhansk, if not yeah. all of them. Yeah. Um, I don't know whether they have the capacity to really take Zaporozhye and Kursan more than they have. And then again, I don't know how but much they haven't moved those three hundred thousand army can hold out against them at all. Right, but they haven't moved so, those three hundred thousand troops in aggressively yet, have they? No, they've kind of trickled them in there. I mean, the problem okay. was from the military point of view on both sides was they were waiting for the ground to freeze solid because everything is so muddy there, mm -hmm. and if it's it's got to be you know negative. Uh, temperatures for a few weeks in a row to right. get the ground good and solid to drive your tanks wherever you want instead of getting stuck in the mud. Well, that never happened this winter. It never got that cold. Oh, interesting. So then now, now both sides are waiting for summer to come and the spring rains to dry out so uh, that then they can move that way and hopefully drier ground. They can move their armor around that way. So everybody's okay. sort of waiting now for the late spring offensive. As so it, it delayed the outcome by six months, probably. Yeah. And look, I mean, the recent leaks are showing that the Ukrainians are about out of air defenses. They're running low on ammo of every kind. And, you know, I don't know exactly how many casualties they've taken or exactly how many men they have in reserve. I think they probably have, you know maybe still another few hundred thousand men in their army, but, you know, not necessarily a very good way to deploy them to yeah, any cool. good effect. If they and don't probably have probably freshly trained armor, too. you know,
and probably, so probably not them. not their best soldiers either probably freshly trained young young yeah guys. that's right they've lost a lot of guys already so um you know, if, if the Sad. Russians succeed in just breaking their army, then they'll have the run of the place, I guess. So, you know. Um, well, I, I mean, what is this? Uh, if you recall last summer, there was all this talk about how we're going to take back Crimea because they, they were doing better than expected and blah, blah, blah. Was that all fucking bluff and bluster? Yeah. I mean, they're, they might start hitting them there. They might start launching rockets at them there. That seems know, dangerous. That range. But they have no ability to launch an offensive against the Crimean Peninsula at all. Or if they do, then they have really been fainting like they're weak with this recent battle for Bakhmut. And they've been so saving up one hell of an army to deploy. But I'd be surprised for that, you know. Yeah, I believe that when I see it. The so, documents, the leaked documents seem to think that you know, seem to portray the U.S. military as assessing that they're maybe if not on their last legs, they're certainly in a Close. position of weakness versus the Russians. Is is that is that confirmed the seven to one kill ratio like that? They actually oh, no, I don't I don't believe any of the ratios are confirmed at all as far as how many yeah. casualties on either side. And I have no way to measure who's telling the truth about that other than. Both sides claim that the other side's numbers are much higher than they probably are and that theirs are lower. But other than that, I couldn't so the number yeah. for you at all, you know. Well, do you think, uh, I mean, do you think we can see, uh, uh, look, let's be honest. Like if, if fucking NATO and the U.S. were to sit, go to the Ukrainians and say, negotiate a peace, I think that they would have. I think that the only reason that they didn't come to a peace was because of the inverse of that, where they said, you're not fucking negotiating a peace. We're going to arm you and we're going to fund you and blah, 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 blah. And the problem with that is. You know, if, if Zelensky negotiated, he might be assassinated. I know, man. People, yeah, right sector people, ain't fucking around. That's right. I mean, there are people in this country who would way rather fight to the death all the way than ever give in. And yeah, well, they happen to be fucking actual Nazis to a large extent. So, like, that's right. how, how crazy is it that we have these we, – we have our fucking Secretary of Defense, uh, Lloyd Austin, that's up on Capitol Hill – literally giving testimony about how white nationalism is the gravest threat and domestic extremism, domestic terrorism is the gravest threat in America. And we are over fucking arming literal goddamn Nazis. So Although crazy, to be man. fair, probably most of them have been killed by now. You know, I don't know. I think they probably <laughs> sent, you know, the A-Sub battalion straight to the front line. Um, all right. Maybe, so. maybe it's not so many Nazis anymore, but Jesus yeah, Christ. exactly. I mean, there, look, no, there's a, there has been a very serious influence uh, from those guys. And it's, you know, in my Obama chapter, I have seven separate sections about the different aspects of the coup and the role of the Nazis in it. Yeah, and, all that. Uh, and I tried to trim it down. Like, what can I do? I, it's a lot of different things that need tackling there, but it's a serious issue. And look, they've overthrown the government there a couple of times before. And as the New York Times put it themselves twice, that look, when these guys threaten to overthrow the government and kill the president, that's a serious thing. And the president has to take that into account as, yeah. you know, like if some Nazi starts spouting off in America that he's going to hurt our president. They just roll his ass up. He's not getting anywhere near. <laughs> no, of course not. Right? Yeah, but, but that's different in Ukraine. That, yeah, when these guys say that they'll hang Zelensky from a lamppost, as uh, Bilecki said. The New York Times is like, yeah, well, you know what? That's a credible threat. Yeah, no man. lie. Well, and, and, and he and has it, to be, you know, he cannot cross them too bad or they'll murder him. Yeah, and, and there's evidence too that they, I mean, when they commit, you know, war crimes and all sorts of shit, like they get away with it because they're, they're basically, uh, you know, 
kind of autonomous it, like that's that's the read at least i had of it like these yeah. guys do basically whatever the fuck they want because they're this enormous you know extremist right-wing militia that just gets to you know do commit whatever kind i was of arguing with a friend of mine and she goes oh yeah well where's Blitsky now and i go well he's special advisor to the commander-in-chief of the ukrainian armed forces is where he is now. <laughs> so crazy dude i mean they that, that was their argument they're like we don't have a we don't have a nazi problem we rolled in azov into our military it's like that doesn't make it better what yeah. are you talking I mean, about? about that look like and, and there are nazis in america's armed forces here of and there course. but imagine if the U.S. Army said, look, we're just going to integrate the Aryan <laughs> nations and give them their own battalion. You know, they'll be their own group. You, we, we got the we, Ku Klux Klan here and the Aryan nations there. And we have an, our Antifa battalion over here, too. We have we have the 101st rear. We have the 101st oh, Airborne. What? We, we have the 101st Airborne and we have the 420th Airborne. It's all of yeah. our Nazis. Crazy, there you go. Man. Crazy. Seriously, man. All right, so All right, let's. Uh, ask me let's... How much I hate Bill Clinton for a second. What? Yeah, yeah, please. Okay, well, first of all, and this goes to your debate here, okay? America, the good guys, and all that. Yeah, no kidding. Well, Bill Clinton's not a good guy. He was on Jeffrey Epstein's plane 26 times, he butchered the Branch Davidians. I heard the survivors talk about how much they missed their loved ones yesterday. Oh. Okay. And he sent the Army Delta Force to machine gun and explode them and burn them all to death. All right, yep. same guy who left our troops on bases, our Air Force on bases in Saudi Arabia, blockading and bombing the Iraqis until Osama bin Laden came and knocked our goddamn towers down in revenge for it. Same guy broke Bush's Bush Sr.'s promise and expanded our military alliance into Eastern Europe, started a war in Kosovo and and you know against serbia two wars against serbia yep. and and you know back the chechen terrorists against them and all of this so like i don't know maybe for whatever reason this guy whoever he is thinks that w bush was a really great and wise leader though if even if clinton wasn't but that's not the way i remember w bush i remember w bush being absolutely horrible on everything including <laughs> all of his russia policy and all of his nato policy and then remember who came after him it was barack obama the guy that tripled the afghan war and then lost it anyway yep. the guy that got us out of iraq but then back the terrorists in syria leading to the caliphate and the reinvasion of iraq to destroy it again and top the of guy who overthrew w bush's friend Gaddafi and turned libya into now it'll never be a nation state again it'll be two or three max you know uh i mean pardon me at minimum uh going forward here who who combined libyan jihadists and may help them make friends with the boko haram down there in nigeria and spread right this is that's who barack obama is he killed a million people he made George W. Bush, well, he doubled W. Bush is what he did, right? Triple W. Bush and, yeah. and launched the war in Yemen to yep. placate the Saudis over the one good thing he ever did, which was the damn Iran deal. He yeah, said, well, well, I got to do the Iran deal. I guess I'll help the Saudis kill upwards of a million people in Yemen in a genocidal campaign, a deliberately inflicted famine to make up for that. Yeah. You know, he wasn't that good of a leader. It, maybe you like him, but I, I think that other people have good reason not to. And then even if you like Donald Trump, are you going to say like he really was a brilliant genius with a perfect Eastern Europe policy? 
and it's not even his fault, right? Even if, let's say you like him a lot. They didn't let him have a reasonable Russia policy, right? Mm. He went to Helsinki. They called it the treason summit. Yeah. How dare you negotiate with Putin at all? They even said Putin gave him a soccer ball, and they go, there's probably a bug in the soccer ball, dude. <laughs> okay? It's so ridiculous. Yeah, and if you don't like him, then, hey, he's Donald Trump. What more do I need to say? Right. Right? So, in other words, we're not talking about America, and we're not talking about Christopher Reeves, Virgin Boy Scout Superman, saving a little white kitten from a tree. We're talking about Bill Clinton, the face-biting rapist, the butcher of Waco, <laughs> yep. ruiner of all things good, that same guy, and George W. Aggressive War Bush. You know, these are not heroes. No. This is not the American people. This is the regime we're saddled with, you know? So if you, like, have your your internal character is so wrapped up in the American flag and the USA, and when I say that America started the war in Ukraine, you take that personally, well, that's a personal problem of yours. Right. And the reality is Bill Clinton and W. Bush and Barack Obama and Donald Trump and Joe Biden and John McCain, these men are not America. Yeah, and Lindsey, Lindsey Graham. Lindsey Graham is not America. <laughs> I knew, I knew. Some people that the powerful have saddled us with, which makes us the beasts of their burden. That's it. Yep. Good. Well said, man. I, yeah. uh, I, it, what's really weird about this dude is he's a fucking lefty, dude. He's a lefty, but he bought into the lie that this is the most, you know, merciful, holistic war we've ever participated in contrary to all of our track record i mean it's just it's just so sad that people can still be psyoped into supporting this fucking shit especially given that all of our you know all of our other chicanery was with non-nuclear powers for the most part and now we're having a proxy war on the border of the the largest most significant probably arguably the most advanced nuclear power on the planet the russians it's fucking lunacy and i am so grateful for your book scott and i cannot wait for this thing to come out i it cannot happen soon enough i know you're busy but i i'm going to continue to urge you to finish it as soon as possible because i really think that we need it as fast as possible to, I know. to like, man, save our lives behind. I, I really appreciate your vote your vote of confidence in the work man a lot uh because it the project has gotten i admit it's completely out of control now the book is 653 pages <laughs> and Actually, the bad news is just like I did a year ago with the nuke book is I just pulled the e-brake on this thing and it has to wait because now I'm working on a major Waco project. Oh, God damn it. And I've got a couple of really good interviews lately, including a really great one yesterday that I got up at the, we had the memorial, mm -hmm. uh, 30th anniversary uh, memorial uh, ceremony up there in Waco yesterday and I got one really good interview there and I've got a lead on a couple of more and I'm putting together what's going to end up being kind of a long form martyr made style podcast on Excellent. the Waco issue for the 30th anniversary here so or, well that's going to be I call it an anniversary but you yeah, know what I mean yeah, yeah. um memorial that won't be out for a few more weeks but i'll be working on that for a few weeks here and i'll be trying as best i can to continue working on the russia book the whole time as well but that's a pretty big one and then once i get the waco thing out of the way then um i'll be able to to get back to work on the the rest man time. crank it i'm telling you it is it is a very uh 
I mean, it's a very special work, regardless of the era. But given the the stakes, I don't think there's a more important thing that is being written in the world right now. So, um, I, I wish you smooth sailing on on completing it, and I hope I wish you tremendous success um, in you know getting people to read it as much as possible. I will be pushing it as aggressively as any human in your camp. So, uh, thank you cool. so much for joining us, Scott. Go ahead and tell people where they can follow you, and we'll get out of here. Absolutely. Thank you very much for that, man. So um, I am the uh, author of Enough Already and Fool's Errand and um, also The Great Ron Paul and Hotter Than the Sun. I'm the editor of those. Um, and I'm the director of the Libertarian Institute. I'm the editorial director of Antiwar.com. And um, I'm the host of the Scott Horton Show. And just on April the 12th, the other day, I celebrated the 20th anniversary of my interview show. I've got 5,900 wow. interviews for you. Not quite 6,000. I didn't quite make six, but I got 5,900 interviews for you at scotthorton.org and at youtube.com slash Show. So let's see the institutes, the books, the show. You nailed it. That's it. And you can follow him on Twitter at Scott Horton Show. Um, uh, if you guys want to support my work, go to libertylockdown.locals.com. Thank you so much for tuning in. Make sure you hit a like, comment, and subscribe. And if you are in Tennessee, the, this well, this may have already happened. I'm going to try and get the debate with uh, between myself and Destiny in Tennessee out on my channel. I, I assume that it's owned by the Mises Caucus since they are the ones that are you know crafting the event. But when is this? I'll find a way. I'll find a way for my audience to see it. That's all I'm going to say. What when is that? the interview? I mean, the debate? Uh, Saturday, dude. I'm, I'm flying to Nashville tomorrow. Okay, great, man. Well, good yeah. luck, dude. I know you'll do great. I appreciate it. I, uh, I feel like I have <laughs> a far greater uh, grasp on this topic than he does. So if I fucking lose it, you get to kick me out of the Libertarian Party, all right? Yeah, you'll be fine. <laughs> you'll be fine. Anyways, thank you guys so much for tuning in. We are out. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed that deep, deep dive with the great Scott Horton. Just wanted to remind you before I get out of here to go download the Converso app over on either Apple or Google, Android, Play Stores. Go get them right now. C-O-N-V-E-R-S-O. Greatest, greatest top secret messaging app that exists out there. I am so thrilled to be in business with those guys. And I think that you will absolutely love the messaging app. It is fantastic. Again, that's C-O-N-V-E-R-S-O. And let me add a really cool feature for you guys. And I am having Vivek Ramaswamy on the show, presidential candidate. Yeah. Yeah. Next week. Uh, you'll be able to message me on Converso once you've downloaded it. I have an exclusive number set up for Liberty Lockdown. You can message me, literally, on my phone, 555-175-8394. That's my phone number. Please don't message me dick pics and stupid stuff. I beg of you. But... <laughs> you can message me questions live during the show while I'm recording with my guests. Uh, I've had an unbelievable guest list, so I, I would highly recommend you guys check that out. I thought it would be a really cool feature for you and for myself because I love to hear from you guys. So again, that's Converso 555-175-8394. I look forward to hearing from you and interacting moving forward. Vivek Ramaswamy. Oh, it's going to be such a good conversation. Are you guys ready for it? I don't know why I'm whispering. All right, we're out of here. Peace. Welcome to Liberty Lockdown. Please scan your barcode. Your liberty ain't gone, but yeah, it's on hold. Where did it come from and where did it go?